Hello, Julianne and Poonam. Welcome to the Social Responsibility at Work podcast. It is so wonderful to finally have you both on the podcast. I know it's been a long time coming. And I'm looking forward to jumping in and talking a little bit about uh, your perspectives, your experiences, especially around uh, trauma-informed leadership, which is something that I think uh, we've been talking about on this podcast quite a bit when it comes to the idea of what it means to be psychologically and emotionally safe at work and how leaders and different types of leadership styles, which I know you all will talk about, can uh, can facilitate that. So, uh, Juliet, why don't you start with your introduction? Uh, tell us who you are, what you do, and the impact you're looking to make on the world. And then we'll go to Puna. Yeah, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in California. Um, and really, uh, we'll share a little bit more about our story, but really the impact or the hope that we're trying to make is really bringing the relationships back into the workplace or like the human behind the employee. So part of our master's and our expertise is around relationships and looking at things in a relational system kind of lens. So we're, we're never seeing someone in isolation. We're always seeing them in connection or in relationship to those around them, whether past or future. Um, and so we really want to like revitalize that or bring that um, kind of connection and relationship and center that around like relational intelligence back into the workplace. Awesome. So same, right? I'm, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, in California. Juliana and I met when we became leaders and supervisors together. And, you know, similar, right? Uh, we want to make, and I want to make an impact in the world in that talking about working relationships and bringing that into the workplace is actually healthy and supportive and not something that is taboo. Um, that when we honor the entire whole human in the workplace, that that's going to be more fruitful for all of us, um, leaders and employees alike. Awesome. I love that. And I love that you two are kind of tackling this together and um, in partnership with, again, your similar but unique perspectives. And so um, Ponam, if you could tell us a little bit more about what do we mean by trauma-informed leadership and what is it, why should we care? <laughs> and then also um, maybe we could also talk a little bit about the how, because I think a lot of people listening to this want to know, okay, I, I, I understand that this is important, but how do I do it? Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about trauma-informed leadership, um, you know, what we're talking about is safety. Um, we're talking about safety in the workplace. We're talking about how to create environments where we can honor people's, you know, stories and, and what they're coming into work with um, and how we can uh, honor every person's uniqueness and what they bring. And Julianne, I know you have such a beautiful perspective on this as well. I'd love to actually hear you share um, in, in your words what that what that means for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think trauma from leadership is honoring like the inner landscape of our employees and understanding that their inner landscape is always being brought into the room at any given moment. Um, and so if we can really like acknowledge that or create space for that and know that that's in the room with us, I think we're really understanding a better view or a better understanding of how to stay in relationship or stay in connection with our employees. So we're able to like repair ruptures easier and also understand that we're going to all bring our own 
um, past, our, our own relationship to relationships um, in the present in the room with us. Yeah, I love that idea of an inner landscape. And I, I call it context, but I think we're talking about the same thing when we think about highly, uh, you know, leaders who have who lead with high context mm-hmm. and understand, I think, people as individuals and paying attention to the, the whole the whole person coming into work. Uh, I guess, what are the implications of not doing that? I think that, you know, we um, we unintentionally stop critical thinking from happening. I think we unintentionally stop innovation from happening when we don't bring the whole human into the workplace. And I think we stifle the, the creativity that can happen when we're looking at growth or when we're looking at, you know, even something simple as a process that, you know, we need to be able to run you know, Something simple, right? Mm -hmm. I I wish I could come up with a great example right now, but I think it does have an impact on that. It it just stops that brainstorming and prevents us from collaborating um, and being in connection with each other, which as humans we need. Yeah. And, and I think also, you know, I, there's a lot of research, I think around the impact of leadership on people within the workplace, especially from a, a mental health and, and, and health perspective in general. Um, I think we're seeing more and more, um, you know, I think it's always existed. We knew that, you know, toxic leadership, toxic cultures have impact on people, but now I think it's coming to light, like how prevalent it is. And so, you know, just for those who are listening, I think going back to the research around the implications of mental health, if you have a toxic leader, but also implications of enrichment if you have a good leader, a great leader. And so, you know, that's why, you know, this podcast is around responsibility. We talk about social responsibility and the fact that you have people within this container for eight to 10 hours a day, whatever that amount is, uh, what is your responsibility to your people? So Julianne, I would love to hear from you as to, what is that responsibility? So I think up until this point, we've been very focused on leadership as more like management, right? Like you're a leader, manage the work. And I think what we're talking about specifically is more transformational leadership. So Julianne, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, the word ethics comes up, which I really is like, what does that mean in this context, right? But um, yeah, what are the ethical implications of you not only knowing that your work or your business is not just the output, but the people themselves, because without the people, you wouldn't have like the output you're looking for, right? So I feel like your relationships on scale end up building or creating your work culture, right? So that's like a micro way to look at what's happening on a, on a macro lens. Um, and so I think, you know, there's, everyone has a work story where they, they're aware of, when I was in this kind of a work culture, here's how I showed up outside of work. Like, here's mm-hmm. how I ended my day feeling so stressed or, like, exhausted or just really upset or triggered by the, the way I was being spoken to or, like, the things that were put on me or, like, the way I felt like I was being gaslighted or whatnot, right? And so those end up showing so much into our personal lives and the way we want to parent and the way we want to be um, taking care of our parents or how, how we want to be as a spouse or a partner, right? Um, and so I think that the implications here are we know that, like, all of these things really overlap in an ecosystem type of way 
like you can't have one without the connection of the other. Um, and so knowing that they're, they're all in connection with one another impact, I think the leader has to like take that broader lens of not only do I want to do good work here and create a great work culture, but what's the ripple effect beyond this moment? What's the ripple effect that really extends past even this meeting? And how will this meeting actually extend to this person when they're washing their dishes tonight? <laughs> are they going to actually be able to be present with that? Or are they going to be still mulling over this meeting and some of the things that came up here? And if we even zoom out a little bit more, you know, I think what happens is we we create cycles. And so when this employee no longer works for us anymore, right? My employee no longer works for me. What are they taking from me? What is the legacy they're carrying? What are they remembering about leadership? Maybe they've moved into a leadership position and now what cycle are they perpetuating? Are they perpetuating a toxic cycle because there was unhealth in the workplace or are they perpetuating something healthy and beautiful? And so there's those ripple effects that occur even beyond this moment and what today looks like, but two years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the regenerative nature of, of leadership is so important. And, you know, I just think we kind of have it, we've had it wrong for decades. Like I think the way we've been teaching and educating and talking about management and leadership the constructs of that, I think, have been really flawed. And so, you know, the both of you, I think, are doing some great work around redefining and reshaping what we mean by leadership, which I think is, first of all, absolutely needed and critical, but also um, beautiful to see coming from the backgrounds that you you both have. So I know you've created these archetypes of leadership. And so I would love to hear more about them and how they can be an anchor for people to identify and then aspire. Maybe Julia, you start. Yeah, I mean, I think we wanted to um, create a container where someone can actually acknowledge their strengths and also then have a container to actually acknowledge the areas they want to grow in, in a way that feels like self-honoring. And so um, the five archetypes that we tend to talk about come directly from our, our leadership model. And so um, we were able to be like, okay, if, if leaders are really integrating these five elements, we've seen though that from these anchor points, there is someone who really thrives in this and does this so effortlessly without even trying. Like for me, what might be like such a struggle, right? Like where Punam shines, it might be such a struggle for me and I really have to like tap in or even get their counsel on something that she just like breathes. Um, and so really being able to give leaders that that way of self-honoring and not then feeling so much shame when they're having to look at the areas of where they need to grow. Because we find that with leaders, if too much of that shame piece comes up, it's really hard for them to have to like actually take a look at what they're missing the mark on. And like if you're in leadership, we promise you you're missing the mark, not because you're a bad leader, not because you're a bad person, but just because these um it's so complex um the, the nuances that go into it and it's always shifting and changing not every employee is the same you always have movement happening with new projects new employees and so that that um relational landscape again is always shifting and so when you can really own what you are really great at you can a lean into the other people who have different strengths than you which i think is great and though you have more capacity to actually be like, oh yeah, I really need to be like slow down, get a little bit curious 
about like these patterns that are definitely appearing in front of me that I want to pretend aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now that I have this container and this language around doing so, it just feels a little safer to do it. Yeah, the archetypes really give us a, a way to understand ourselves. And I think that, you know, it, it's so important in leadership to have self-awareness uh, and to be able to reflect on who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how that then impacts the people around you. And I think that there's so much value in knowing your style, if you will, in all kinds of areas, right? Whether it's in leadership, whether it's in how I manage conflict or, you know, um, what's my general personality type, you know, because I think it helps us navigate the world and navigate our interactions with each other. Yeah, I think there's something about hearing and naming things that's really important from a leadership perspective because, you know, I've taken a, I'm, I'm an IO psychologist, so I know all of the, you know, all the assessments, all of the diagnostic, you know, formats. And, you know, I, I think it's important that we realize, you know, first of all, we can't really put be put in a box, but it is around this idea of self-awareness and naming and hearing the words to things that maybe we haven't been able to describe before. So I think that's the power of kind of this idea of an, an archetype that do you think can change over time? What are your thoughts on, is it fluid? Is it something that I should be taking every year? Like what's the, the cadence that you work with your clients um, in the, in the format of the assessment? Yeah. So we, we definitely talk about how like everyone has all five elements in them and there's going to be one that just tends to be like, as if like, you know, we all tend to have a dominant right or left hand when we go to write our name. And so if I'm right-handed and I have to go right with my left hand, initially I might feel really awkward or uncomfortable, but over time I could actually, if I wanted to, at least back in when I used to play basketball and I would be like trying to eat or brush my teeth with my left hand, right? We can all kind of tap into that. And so I think you look at the archetypes in a similar way where you have this innate part of you that just does this thing without realizing it and though it's about stretching into these other areas and really seeing yourself mm. grow. so technically someone could take it again and show that another strength has like emerged or they're really shining in that area but they'll probably tend to still feel like they have like that primary um because again that's just like innate in who they are versus like how they think they're supposed to be as a leader um yeah. got it mm-hmm. very cool and punam what um Give us an, an, an example of one of the archetypes, maybe yours, for example, that kind of, you know, on, on the spectrum of things, you know, you kind of rise to the top and maybe how you and Julianne, from a leadership perspective, bounce off of each other. Yeah. So I'm a nurturer, which means that my um, strength is really in compassion and kindness. Uh, my default mm-hmm. is to extend benefit of the doubt and generosity in any and all scenarios. Uh, and it's something that really helps people feel comfortable in conversation with me. On the flip side, um, what that means is I might struggle with accountability sometimes or being honest about what my boundaries are and maybe take on more than what uh, I need to. And so, you know, the, the strength is in that compassion, but the the area of growth for me is in the overgiving. Um, and in order to actually stay compassionate and in order to be able to extend kindness, I actually need to and I have awareness of what my boundaries are. Otherwise, it's so easy to fall into resentment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and where we balance each other. Julianne, she's the visionary, which means she's constantly inspiring and motivating us. Um, I, I say all the time, I would follow her to all ends of the earth. She's probably heard this a thousand times now, <laughs> um, but she just has a beautiful way of truly like seeing people um, and seeing people as they are, not for what she wants them to be, which then inspires and motivates them to be better. Um, Julianne, do you want to share a little bit more about you? you know, the, the weaknesses, happily. I feel like <laughs> on the flip side, and, and definitely a place I lean on for for is um, I tend, because I tend to be up more in like the inspirational space, then that means the, what to me feels like mundane tasks, which are very necessary and needed to be a leader or run a business. Um, those things tend to organizationally be really draining to me or difficult or I'm like, really, do we need to make a list or do we really need to write this down? And like, I can think of so many conversations with employees where they're like, yes, to everything you said. And we have no idea what you want us to do. Like, no clue. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was like so clear. Like if someone would have asked me afterwards, were you there? I would have been like, yeah, I gave them step by step what we're going to do. And like, everyone's like, no, actually, he did not. We actually have no idea what's next. And like, mm -hmm. we actually need the process written down. We actually need to be all in agreement on how we're going to all do this. We can't each just do this in our own way. And so for the visionary, um, tend, tend to be like very macro and needs help with some of those like day-to-day -day, like micro um, processes. Hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, a, an organization or, you know, a client that you're working with can probably utilize this model um, from an individual perspective, but also a team perspective. So, you know, if you both have challenges with clarity and accountability, you know, you probably need a really, really, like, strong operations person to bring it all home. And so I think... It works equally to help you understand what you need to build on, what you need to improve as a leader, but also from a team or organizational perspective, if you're talking about smaller organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and if you could tell us just to kind of tie the bow on all of this, because I think a lot of people are probably really curious about this idea of trauma-informed leadership and how to use the archetypes to bring some self-awareness and effectiveness and responsibility to their organization. How do people find you? Um, what are some ways that they can get in contact if they want to reach out? Yeah, so please go to levelupleaders.org. You will find us there. You'll see the link to our assessment. Um, and you can also see different ways you can want to work with us and or you can just learn more about our cultivate class leadership model. Amazing. And Poonam, any last words, anything that you want to close, close the conversation with that you think is important for our audience? Uh, to fight the good fight, if you will. It sounds a little <laughs> cliche, but truly, I think that if, if leadership is your calling and something kind of wakes it in your head that says, hey, I actually want to do this differently, then feel free to march to the beat of your own drum because we don't have to do things the way we've been doing them. Uh, this is what's beautiful about leadership is, is the growth and the expansion that we're having right now. So challenge the status quo. Love that. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being on the podcast and sharing your knowledge. We'll be sure to include uh, you know, a link to your website and the assessment. So if people were curious to learn more about trauma-informed leadership and the archetypes and the model that you all have created, we'll make that really accessible to everybody. And just thank you for, thank you for the, all the work you do as well. 